Hey, I'm Rita. And I'm Lee. And welcome to the Me For Her podcast. We are two gay girls living polar opposite lives on different sides of the country. Here to talk shit and share with you our experiences between 20 and 30. Welcome back to the Me For Her podcast for a very special interview with a dear friend of mine with a very special story about gender and identity. It has often been said that gender is who you go to bed as, whereas sexuality is who you go to bed with. But what happens if you are born intersex and sit somewhere in between male and female? And what if you happen to learn, more than five decades later, that you had modifying surgery when you were born? That is the case of Stephanie Vaughan from Bustleton, Western Australia, and she has one hell of a story that I cannot wait to share with you. So, Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Rita. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you on. We've been friends for seven or eight years now um, when I was back working at Holden in rural Western Australia. Um, We've stayed in touch, even caught up in Europe and Prague over the years. Um, But now when we met back all those years ago, I didn't meet Stephanie Vaughan. I met someone else. So can you please share with everyone who you identified as back then? So for the first 50 for 55 years of my life, I identified as Robin Ulliott. Um, I was born in Yorkshire, um, got into the motor trade when I was 22, um, and eventually found my way over to Western Australia. I was offered a job completely by, completely out of the blue when I was over here on holiday in 2015, and we moved here in, in 2006, sorry, 2005, and we moved here in 2006. Um, and um, I just love it. It's just the place to be. But yeah, so a very um, male presentation, even though I knew that really I shouldn't have been male. It's so interesting because when I met you, I wouldn't have known any different. I walked into the dealership, you presented as male, you were wearing suits, um, you know, and we got along very, very, very well and um, had a really great friendship, which, you know, we've continued on to this day. But um, I would love to share with everyone what your childhood was like back in Yorkshire. Um, I was born on a, in a, a little town called Bridlington. Um, my parents were farmers um, uh, about nine miles from, from where I was born. Uh, it was a dairy farm. Uh, being brought up on a farm is a very privileged upbringing. But I knew from a very early age, probably eight or nine, that something wasn't right. Um, mm. I knew things didn't add up. Um, I didn't feel right. Um, but it was a very, very different time then, Rita. You know, when I was eight years old, it was 1969. Um, it's just a different era. Unfortunately, when I got when I hit puberty around thirteen, instead of developing like a boy, I developed like a girl. Um, developed severe gynecomastia, so breasts, um, mm-hmm. and I knew absolutely knew then that I was on the wrong side. Wow! But you you didn't actually know, like no no one told you, right? Not not a doctor, not no, your parents. No, it was it was just an absolute thing. Um, I used to go to bed every night and pray that I would wake up as a girl. Um, when I was 13, I chose the name Stephanie. Uh, mm. I, re- I can remember it to this day. I went to bed one particular night and I'm dreaming about waking up as a girl and 
And I thought, if I do work with it as a girl, what would I call myself? I know Robin mm. would go either way, but I always felt that I wanted a complete change. And, and it wasn't as though I knew anybody called Stephanie. I just mm. had the name, loved it. Um, so um, Stephanie has occupied a part of my mind ever since. Wow. And, I mean, you didn't know anyone else that was feeling the same way you did, did you? I imagine, you know, your peers, your yeah. friends, everyone presented as male and that was that, right? How, how do you start a conversation with, with friends and that? You know, I think I'd rather be a girl. I think I should have been a girl. You just, mm. you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. And um, so eventually um, the breasts were a problem. I got absolutely teased and bullied at school, um, mm. you know, and so I had to confront my parents. My parents and my father then took me to the local doctor the doctor examined me and gave me a referral to see a specialist. We went to see the first specialist in Scarborough, um, at, the, at Scarborough Hospital. He examined me, looked at my records, and just said he wasn't the right person for my problem and gave me a referral, or gave my, my father a referral yeah. for a second specialist, this time in, the, in, in Leeds. Um, an appointment was made. Uh, about two weeks later, and I can just remember that day as it was yesterday. It was in mm. this guy's private house, um, and, and we were we knocked on the door. We're invited in by a lady, who I'm presuming was his wife, um, told to sit down in the hallway. There were some some chairs there. Eventually, a lady and a girl came out, and the first thing I noticed was the girl was crying, and I thought. That's not a good sign. Anyway, mm. we were asked to go in, and it was a big old room, um, and this man sat behind a desk with a cigarette in his hand, um, and I'm just like, wow. Um, and very brusque, he, he sort of peered to us over the top of his glasses and and, um, and told me to go behind a curtain and get undressed, and he proceeded to have a a conversation with my father, which I couldn't hear. Uh, mm. He then um, came to me, and to be fair, the man was very, very kind and gentle with me. Um, but he examined me top and bottom and then uh, told me to get dressed and then went and had another conversation with my father, and, and we left. Um, my father hardly spoke to me on the way home. Um, it was a very, very unpleasant drive home um, mm. back, back to, to the farm. Um, and when I got home, I was told that I had breasts because I was overweight. And and to be fair, mm. I've been overweight for most of my life until 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the consequence of living on a dairy farm with having gallons of full cream milk and cakes and pastries, and, mm-hmm. you know, which is the norm in it on a farm in New Yorkshire. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that wasn't the case. If I'd been stick thin, it wouldn't have changed what was going on in my head. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was something more to it. But how do you question a doctor and a specialist when you're 13? 
in course, or your parent. 74, you just don't. Mm-hmm. So I just learned to live with it and um, knew, I was, knew it wasn't right, but, you know, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I left school with virtually no education, no uh, qualifications, um, because after that uh, I found every excuse not to go to school and just didn't go to school. Um, was that because of the bullying stuff? Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, mm. And and I look back on that now and think I had it easy because there was no Facebook, there was no social media, um, so there was no cyberbullying. At least when I left school, that was an end to it. So if I didn't mm. go to school, I didn't have any contact with anybody that was bullying me. And so... Mm. I, compared to, to kids nowadays very very true they um social media these days you can't really escape it can you it's um it's horrifying no uh, it is it's dreadful so steph so so you 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 went on with your life you you know you were led to believe that it was just um because you're a little bit overweight and but something didn't feel right to you you didn't question it you couldn't um so then Later on, you moved to Australia. At what point did I guess you decide that something didn't sit right with you and you had to start to look into your history a little bit deeper? In 2012, my um, second wife and I parted company and at that point in time I probably weighed 105 kilos and decided I should do something about it. I should add I lost a brother at 53 to a heart complaint and I lost my father at 68 to a heart complaint. So when you're 5 foot 9 and 105 kilos, it doesn't look well, does it? it doesn't look no. well. So I decided to, to lose weight. I was now on my own, living on my own. And, and it's, it's, it's quite easy to lose weight when you live on your own because you only eat when you're hungry. You don't mm-hmm. eat because that's the time you eat. Um, mm-hmm. And I found it very easy. Um, I was soon down to – I only really wanted to get below 90 kilos. I wanted to get to 89. I weighed 89 kilos of 14 stone when I left school. And I thought, if I can get down to that, then, hey, you know, I've done okay. And, uh, but I didn't. Uh, I kept losing weight, and I got down to about 80 kilos – and uh, my back, uh, and I've always, um, if I've had back problems, I always go to the same lady. She's an osteopath, mm-hmm. a holistic osteopath, um, and she's English and um, a little bit younger than me, but, but just a lovely, lovely, kind person. And, and I made an appointment, went to see her, and, uh, and she said, wow, you look great, Robin. Um, you know, so what's the problem? So we talked for a little while and she had me laid, laid on my back and she had her hands around my, my neck like this um, and she said, oh, um, I think you should go and see your doctor because I think you have a thyroid problem. It, it feels swollen. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I said, oh, oh, okay. Um, I don't really have a doctor, actually. I try to avoid them. And, uh, and she she uh, she didn't say anything at the time, but when we're when I'm sitting back at her desk and doing the paperwork, 
she said to me, she she put her, I can I can see this like it was yesterday. She 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 put her hand in her handbag, pulled out a business card, gave the business card to me, and said, "Go and see that doctor. She's my doctor. She's the best in town. Tell her I've sent you. She'll look after you." Well, and that was the start of. That's how it all started, and that's why at the end of the book when. In the acknowledgements, she's the first person out of my mm. six people, wow. um, and so she, she. I went to see the doctor, and the first appointment with the doctor, uh, they, they put me in for a long appointment, um, and and it struck me that this lady was really calm and kind and and um, empathetic, and she. We're talking, talking, talking about the thyroid, and um, and she said to me, she said, uh, I was just about to get up to go, and she said, um, is there anything else you want to talk to me about? You want to tell me about? And I thought I've got on really well with this lady. Uh, I like her a lot, so I'm just going to tell her. So I said, mm-hmm. I've got gynecomastia since I was thirteen. Does that count? And she said, mm-hmm. um, I said. I've had gynecomastia since I was 13. And she said, do, do you mind if I take a look? Mm-hmm. I wasn't sort of prepared for taking my, my shirt off, but I felt very comfortable with her. So no, I took the shirt off and she's like, I could see the shocked look on her face. And she said, mm-hmm. do you um, um, a referral to get some blood tests done. She said, give me that mm-hmm. referral. And she starts writing things on the bottom of the referral, more and more tests to do. And she mm-hmm. said, um, okay, well, we'll sort the, the thyroid out first and then we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go and have the bloods taken and, and come and see me in a week. So I truly went back the next week and, and she said, she said, you have more estrogen running around your veins than most women your age. Wow. And so, I don't know, that probably explains why they're very sore then. And mm-hmm. she said, we'll sort the thyroid out and then we'll look into the estrogen problem. So she referred me to an endocrinologist in Perth and um, it all started to unravel. Um, that I had test after test after test to, because the thought is that if you've got, if you're a male and you've got high estrogen, then you have a tumour somewhere, an estrogen uh-huh. tumour. So I had all these tests, sick and tired of, uh, and sick of paying for tests. Mm. They all came back negative. So I got sent back to, to, I was asked to go and see the endocrinologist again. I ran up to make an appointment. She's gone on maternity leave. So... I get sent to someone else. I saw him once. He was okay. He was a um, a Malaysian guy, but English of English heritage. Really, really nice guy. And he went back to the UK. So I had to find another one. So I find another one. By this stage, it's 2014, and um, he was particularly rude, actually. Mm, mm. It was very, very abrupt, very brusque, um, and it is all 
seriously let about word for word in the in the book. He mm-hmm. examined me and then he treated me to one side of a conversation with the head of endocrinology at Melbourne University. Mm-hmm. Um, put the phone down from that conversation and looked at me and said, well, she's exactly the same opinion as me, and that's that you are self-inflicting. That's horrible. Yeah. I can't believe that. So I, I, in disability, I looked at her and I said, just explain what you mean. He said, well, you're obviously taking some estrogen supplement because there's no other reason oh my why goodness. he's so high. So I asked him if he knew many people from Yorkshire, and he's like, What's that got to do with it? And I said, well, let me just tell you something about Yorkshire people. We don't give up our hard-earned money easily. Mm. I would pay $300 to see you if I was causing the problem myself. And he said, oh, it happens. It's a syndrome. And, you know, um, I said, anyway, um, I'm not – I don't want to see you again. And I walked out. Um, Mm. Few days later, he called me and apologised and said, "Would I be willing to have another test?" And I said, "No, no." Mm-hmm. Went back to my GP, and my GP said, "So where do you want to go from here?" And I said, "I think we should just monitor it, monitor the estrogen, go from there." Mm-hmm. Then, 2015, we Denise and I re- retired from our resigned from our jobs, and the idea was that mm-hmm. we would for the year. Firstly up north mm-hmm. in WA and across to Northern Territory. Sadly, Denise um, damaged her knee uh, whilst doing the um, one of the trails. I can't remember which one. It was Winjana Gorge anyway. Um, I remember when that happened, actually. You guys were uh, devastated. <laughs> came home early um, and, and then we had seven weeks back here while Denise's knee fixed itself and oh, she had had surgery to get it to fix it, um, and then we headed off to Europe. And mm-hmm. my GP, I went to see my GP just before I left, bearing in mind that we're going to be away for four or five months, um, and and I've never been a good sleeper, so I wanted a big supply of sleeping tablets. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, and she said to me, while you're in the UK would you try and get your health records from the NHS there? She said, mm. I, don't, I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm maybe just looking for clues. So, yeah, mm. no, I just thought this would be the easiest thing in the world, walk into the, <laughs> surgery, walk into the surgery where I, I went for 45 years, um, given my, my proof of identification, and asked for my records, and I thought they'd just press a button on a computer and out they would roll. Mm-hmm. That's at all. Um, oh, they, you first of all, you have to have an interview to ascertain why you actually want the records. You're kidding for your own records? No, I'm not kidding at all, Rita. Oh my gosh! An interview that you have to pay for, I might add. So, so that to add insult to injury. Anyway, so we went to the the main. Um, local head, head office place for the NHS and I had this interview and this woman is really um, you know, wanting to know why I wanted my records, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she agreed to send me them. Mm-hmm. So 
we were then heading off up to Scotland for a week, um, came back and, and when we got back, they'd arrived at my brother's address. And so we, uh, I was keen to see what was in them. But when I opened them, half of them were missing. They're not just missing, Rita. They're blatantly covered up. They're, they're, oh, these gosh. handwritten notes that have been photocopied. And there are pages that are black at the top half where they've folded something over so that you can't see. And also, I knew from from conversations with my parents that I've spent the first 10 to 12 weeks of my life in hospital, supposedly because I was underweight. I was only four pounds Mm -hmm. and four ounces when I was two weeks premature. And I was always told that I I was kept in hospital for three months because I was underweight. You were underweight. Mm hmm. But these, all these records are missing completely, as were the records of going to see the specialists when I was 13. So Unbelievable. The next time I had an opportunity, I thought, I'll, I'll call this lady at the NHS and, and, and see how I go about getting the rest. And so eventually I got hold of her and I said, thanks for sending the records. Um, how do I get, there seems to be a lot missing, how do I get those? And she just said, you've been given what the department considers to be in the patient's best interest. If you want any more, you will need to go to court. But bear in mind, before the year of 2000, we aren't obliged to give you any because the year of 2000 was when the Freedom of Information Act came into force. So before that, they're not obliged to give you any. Unbelievable. Um, So by this stage where... We're not long before we're back, back to Australia. So um, I brought them back, gave them to my GP, and she said, I won't read them now. I'll take them home and read them at mm-hmm. home, and perhaps you come in again in a few days' time. So I went back a few days later, and she said, so I've read the, the records that you've got, Um about the missing ones, you know, do you not think that's suspicious? I said, I do think it's suspicious, but I don't know what to do about it. I haven't got, Mm -hmm. I don't have the will or the money to go to court. So I don't know. I don't know what to do about it. Um, And she said, well, I've thought about it, and I'd like you to go and see a specialist in Perth. Mm -hmm. So... I said, okay, she she said, I just think he might be able to shed some light on it. He's also English. So I said, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds sounds a good good next step, positive next step. So I duly made an appointment to see this man and went to see him. Um, Lovely guy, absolutely lovely guy. Um, I'd taken him a sort of story so far, as it were. And Mm -hmm. he said, Read, I've read the referral that your doctor's given me, um, but I'll read yours as well. So he takes my notes and reads them and nods and, and puts them down. And he then asked me a very strange question. I thought it was a strange question at the time. He said, do you always present as male? And I said, um, well, I do in public, yes. I do cross-dress in private. And he said, mm. I just wondered. He said, um, do you mind if I take a look? So I said, mm-hmm. no, I was pretty much expecting it. I said, do you just want to look at the top half? And he said, no, 
no, I won't talk at all here. And he said, if you just take your clothes off and lay on the bed, I'll be over in a few seconds. And he came over and he said, do you mind if I touch you? I said, no, help yourself. Um, and he was no more than 20 or 30 seconds and just said, okay, put your clothes back on and come back down to the desk. Mm -hmm. He got back to his desk. He turned his computer monitor to face me and on it is a picture of 15 pictures of, of male genitalia with um, with this particular scar. And he said, um, mm. those scars look familiar at all. And I said, yeah, I've got a scar a bit like that. And he turned his computer monitor to him and then said, of course, the problem with you being born intersex is 50 years later, it's impossible for me to tell you to what degree of intersex you were born. Mm. So I said, do you want to just run that past me again slowly? <laughs> so this this was the first time you got told that you were born as intersex? Yes. So and how old were you, just for the benefit? It was two, it's December 2015, so I would be 54 years old. Wow. And And to his credit, he started to say it again, and then he said, you didn't know, did you? You didn't know any of this, mm -hmm. did you? And I said, no, no. And to his credit, he picked his phone up, said to the receptionist, you need to put off my next patient because I'm going to be a long while with this one. And he put wow. the phone down. That's amazing. He said, how much do you know about intersex? And, and I said, well, I've heard the term, but. I did, I, I've never done any research on it because I didn't think it, it referred to me. I didn't think I had anything to do with that. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, okay, he said, do you know for the first seven weeks after conception we are all girls? I said, no. How, how would I know? Who would have told me that? <clears throat> and he said, well, it is taught in secondary education now but it wasn't when you were at school. I nearly said, well, I didn't go to school anyway, but um, <laughs> well, that wasn't really relevant. And he said, so sometime between the weeks of 7 and 12, if you're going to be a boy, testosterone gets introduced and you develop as a boy. If you're going to be a girl, testosterone doesn't get introduced and you carry on developing as a girl. Sometime mm -hmm. in that period of, of 7 to 12 weeks, there has been an interruption in the flow of testosterone. So maybe your mum was ill, maybe uh, it could be a hundred other reasons, mm -hmm. but it's because the mother is ill. Um, and, and then you have a situation where the baby's half developed as a, as a girl and half developed as a boy. And so I said, so... How, how was I developed then? And he said, well, you were definitely born with a hyperspadia. So instead of urinating out of the end of the penis, you had a hole underneath like a girl would have. Um, and he said, I would, I can't say 100%, but I think you were born with a blind, with, with a vaginal opening, which has been sewn up when you were born. Um, mm. there, he said, 
is, it's very difficult to tell, but there are spots that look like stitch marks. Mm. So I came out of his his office absolutely shell shocked. Um, wow. And and the the emotions going through my head were um, disbelief and confusion. Hatred for my parents because they watched go through so much pain at school and later in life, um, and they knew all the time. They knew why mm. why I was I was like that. Anyway, he 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 said he liked to see me. He thought that estrogen. He said that they'll never find the source of the estrogen. Because if up here thinks you're a girl, then somewhere will produce estrogen. One of the one of the various organs will produce estrogen. Mm. Finding it, they'll never find it. And he said, I think a lot of it, in your case, is stress-based. Mm. So, okay. So he said, you obviously had a fairly stressful job, um, and, and I'm sure that's had a lot to do with it. So anyway, so he said, what I'd like you to do is is go home, have a blood test in three weeks, and come and see me in a month. Mm-hmm. When I went back to see him, the first thing he does is is pull out the blood test results. My estrogen level, bearing in mind, as a man, my estrogen level should have been, at the most, 90. Okay. Just, 2,780. Oh, my God. I actually remember when you told me that when we caught up once and I almost fell off my chair. (laughs) Um, He said, I I don't actually know how you're functioning Mm. that much estrogen. Um, And he said, this is because, most likely because, of what I told you in December. Mm. Um, and so, as a as a way forward from then, he wanted me to go back to see an endocrinologist. I said, "Well, I'm not seeing that guy Murdoch." Mm-hmm. That, that was Richie. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he said, "No, that's okay." He said, um, "Who have you seen?" So I told him that the the, the two others I'd seen, and he said, "Oh, the one you saw first. Um, she's back practicing now." So. I'll I'll send a referral to her. Just just give her a couple of days, and I'll I'll um, and, and make an appointment. So I went to see her. She was super kind to me. Um, really wanted to try and get to the bottom of it, but then um, she wanted to put. She wanted me to try different drugs to to try and uh, block the estrogen. Uh, one of which was a an anti a post breast cancer drug called anastrozole. It has some pretty nasty side effects, um, and but she also offered to present my case at the National Endocrinologists Convention, which was being held in the Gold Coast in August, at the beginning of August of sixteen. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, that of that if, if all the top people are there, surely someone. If she presents my case, then somebody somewhere will know 
how to deal with they can it. They give you some answers. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. exactly. Anyway, cut a long story short, it, it didn't happen. She presented my case um, and, and called me the next day and said, um, a couple of days later, and said, um, well, the presentation went really well, but didn't really come up with anything. Mm. At this stage, I am absolutely at the bottom. I can remember. You were so deflated. You just wanted answers. Um, You filled me in on the story and it was just, you know, you thought surely by now you had one answer but it didn't really explain a lot, did it? No. Unfortunately, I thought the only way out of this was to end my life. Um, And so Mm. I'd thought about it for some time and sort of half made plans to do it certainly decided how I was going to do it. Um, Mm. But fortunately, um, I did have one thing to sidetrack my mind from that. It was Denise's 60th birthday in Mm. September 16, and so I'd been busy planning um, a trip over to South Australia um, and and a really nice few days over there in the Barossa Valley. And so that was something which helped me. Took your mind off it a bit. Having said that, let's just um, backtrack a little bit for the benefit of the audience uh, and just maybe explain who Denise is to you because she's a wonderful person who I'm also friends with. But um, it would be great if you can just explain how you guys met and um, who she means to you. So um, I met Denise in in, uh, 2011 uh, when I sold her a car. And to be perfectly honest, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience. Um, but, but anyway, long story. It's all in the book. All in the yes, book. okay. All right, very um, good. Moving along to 2012, and I, I didn't really want, really want much of a relationship, having, got, having Jane and I parted. Um, I wasn't ready for a relationship. But her best friend also bought a car off me, and bullied me into taking Denise out. So our first date was the 28th of December 2012 um, and it was a, an interesting night. I took her out for a meal. The meal was dreadful. We finished it back at her house and, and chatted until one o'clock in the morning. Um, and I left her house and said to her, okay, Balls in your court if you want to see me again. Um, let me know. I'd be happy to do, but no pressure. Um, yep. So we'll go from there. Anyway, we did we did see each other again. Um, and um, I didn't know how to broach the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. It would have been super intimidating. I didn't want to... Um, I didn't want to, to get into a physical relationship because that would have meant getting them dressed. By this stage, I'm like 75 kilos and and my breasts were much more prominent. So I wore yeah. clothes which covered them up and, and, and I didn't ever bind, bind them when I was with her. I have done in the past, um, but it's not certainly not comfortable. So, um, but so I think on about our fourth date I hatched a plan to to tell her about I had to tell her the truth before the yeah. relationship 
developed at all. And so um, I told her that uh, I enjoyed cross-dressing. I told her about the gynecomastia. Um, she was super, super understanding, cautious, understandably about the cross-dressing. Said mm-hmm. she wouldn't be comfortable with me cross-dressing in public. And I didn't do that anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, not, not outer clothes, underclothes, yes, but not outer clothes. Um, and so the re- relationship developed. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, she's just, it's just, it became a, a beautiful relationship, got stronger and stronger. Um, and we, we bought a four-wheel drive and went on some four-wheel drive, which she'd never done before and loved. Um, and, and we decided to, to travel during 2015. Um, mm. She's been there with me right through um, the, the, the whole uh, thing with the estrogen, uh, you know, and, and absolutely we will not meet a, a more selfless person. She's mm-hmm. my rock. And, and so towards the end of August 2016, just before we fly over to, to South Australia, she could see that I was very close to the bottom. Mm. Uh, no motivation to work in my business, no, um, just close to tears half the time and, and very, very sore in my breasts. Um, so, so that I'm producing more stress and causing the problem to get worse. It's just a, a vicious circle. And she said to me one night when we're out with the dog, if you want to change sex, I will support you. Mm. And I always I just, I, I thought I'd misheard her, actually. Mm, really? Uh, you, you, you do that for me? And she said, yes. Um, I know how close to the bottom you are. You're my best friend and I don't want to lose you. Having mm. said, I don't know how it will affect our relationship. If I can still be with you, right? Yeah, we're both girls. We'll both be girls, and um, I'm straight. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so okay. Anyway, we go across to, to South Australia, have a beautiful few days over there, and coming back, I just couldn't get it out of my head. I'm on the plane coming back, and I'm thinking, what's the next step? What you know? What's mm. the first step? I it excited you, Because right? had you thought days. about it um, so, privately, aside from Denise? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you probably, in your own private times, you experimented with cross-dressing because you, in on the inside, identified as a woman, right? Absolutely. And, and this has been going on since, since I was a teenager. Mm. And I, I always thought I would grow out of it, actually, mm-hmm. but it did mm-hmm. just got stronger yep. and stronger. Mm-hmm. So I thought the next step would be to ring the guy and get an appointment to see the guy in Perth. It was comical. I went into his office and he said, ah, Robin, I haven't seen any blood tests from you recently. And I said, no, I'm about that. And he sat in his chair, he put his hands across his lap, and he said, go on. And I said, Stephen, I don't know where to start or what to say, but I want to swap sides. And he just nodded and he said, I'm not surprised. He said, it isn't something that I could have 
brought up, I could have suggested. But he mm. said, I'm not surprised at all. And he said, I'll help you make that happen. Wow. It was all, all I wanted to hear. Absolutely all I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And he said, given your age and your seemingly well-adjusted to, to doing it, um, I think we can fast track you through the system. Mm-hmm. He, said, he referred me to uh, a psychiatrist because you've got to get two letters of recommendation before you can proceed to surgery. And, and I, should, I should just say, um, lots of transgender people never, never go as far as, as the surgery. Mm-hmm. But for me, that just wasn't ever an option. It just, mm-hmm. it, I just wouldn't have, I wouldn't have felt whole. I don't have mm-hmm. a, a, it, it's each to their own. Um, if, if, if that, if you're happy being like that, then that, I don't, it's absolutely not, not, um, mm-hmm. it's a, it, every person to their own. Yes. Um, it was, it was just never an option. Mm-hmm. Would you say uh, that, I know you had, um, you know, quite the journey to becoming Stephanie Vaughan and um, you went overseas to receive um, surgery and I might get you to touch on that, but when you eventually did become Stephanie Vaughan officially, did it feel like you were coming home? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Um, he, he, he sent me to this psychiatrist. She... She managed to fast track me, so that I didn't go to see Stephen until midway through September, and by the fourteenth of November, I had my letters of recommendation. Wow! So I, I booked my surgery that week, and the earliest I could get to have my surgery with the person I wanted to have it with um, in Philadelphia um, was thirtieth of May. Wow. Well, it's a long while to, to wait, but, but I um, I picked this lady for a number of reasons, but, but the primary reason for picking her was there are literally hundreds of transgender surgeons on the internet, hundreds. Mm-hmm. Most mm-hmm. of them in Asia. Um, there are some horror stories, some absolute horror reviews of these people. Mm-hmm. There were no bad reviews of this lady in wow. Philadelphia. And what appealed to me was she actually had five recovery suites above her clinic. So for people that mm-hmm. weren't local, you have to stay in a motel or, you, you, you know, the, the comfort of knowing that there's nurses just below you um, and the fact that she'll come in and see you every day um, just meant the world to me. Very and comforting, yeah. We just, we hit it off. We had a Skype, had a Skype consultation with her. She just answered all my questions, most of them without me even having to ask them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I booked it there and then paid the deposit absolutely there and then on Skype. And, and yeah, uh, it was um, absolute what I wanted. I remember when you told me that you'd booked in for the surgery and you told me about the lady and, and your choice in Philadelphia, you were just so elated, like like it was like your homecoming and this was like the last step in your journey, right? Yeah, absolutely, and and I counted down the days. It was 174 days when when I booked mm-hmm. the surgery, 74 days to wait, and I counted down every single day. 
and, and people, you know, the nearer it got to it, um, people, people said, I just can't understand how you're elated and how, how you are so excited to go into hospital, never mind into hospital at the other side of the world. And, and the third thing, to, to go into hospital, to have some bits chopped off, chopped off. <laughs> um, yeah. But but because I always felt that I should have been a girl, it was exactly that, Rachel. It was a homecoming. And mm. waking up after the surgery um, was bizarre because I've, I've only ever had anaesthetic once in my life before then, and that was when I was 10, had my tonsils out. And, and so um, the first thing I was aware of was was this lady saying, Stephanie, Stephanie, I really And this went on a few times, Stephanie, Stephanie. And I thought, oh, that's me. Because <laughs> you've, been, you've been known as Robin for 56 mm-hmm. years. And all of a sudden, you're Stephanie. And so by this stage, she's leant right over me, really close to me. And so I just supposed to go, bing, open eyes. And she's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Do you know where you are? And I looked around her and said, No. And she said, She said, You're all done, dear. Um, everything's okay. Um, and you'll be they're being taken to your room shortly. And I said to her, So, so I'm a girl. And she just smiled and she said, Been a long journey, dear, has it? Um, and so kind. The people in, in in the hospital in Philadelphia were just so beautiful with me. Um, you know, they're obviously very used to dealing with transgender patients. Mm-hmm. And the first thing they asked me was, even though I'm booked for the surgery as Robin Elliott, because that's what mm-hmm. my passport says, um, the first thing they ask you is, and what name would you like to be known as? Oh, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's so, so important. So important. So important. Mm. That's a beautiful story, Steph. And like you know, we've been friends for a long time, and I've it's it's been inspiring to um see you go through your journey. But um, I guess I'd love for you to share like what's life for Steph like now. And I'm sure everyone wants to know what happened with Denise because you now. Stephanie Vaughan, a female, Denise identifies it as, um, you know, previously identified as a straight woman. What's the end of the story? So about two to three months after my decision to transition, and um, so I've then got the letters of of recommendation and I've got my surgery booked, we realised that we're going to have to start telling people. Mm -hmm. So... um, the first person, Denise told her best friend very early on, uh, who was very understanding and very supportive. Um, I started telling my best friends, and, and um, my the first person I told was David, the piano teacher you've met. I David. remember David, yep. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was just, he was so concerned when we asked him to come round to dinner because we had something to tell him. He was so concerned that I was ill. And and he got up oh, no. told him to and, and and he put his arms around me and he just said that's the best news ever. And 
you know, that so, <laughs> you will stick. Um, and and he said, now it's just it's just a win-win situation. Mm. He'll still have you as the same. You know, you'll still be the same person inside who who me and my family all love, but you'll be happy. Exactly. And, and I was just in floods of tears. Um, and and not long after that, Denise said to me, um, you know what, you fall in love with the person, not the gender. And you're my best friend. And it's not like we're 25 anymore. Um, I want us still to be a couple. I love and that story, gone, honestly. It's hard not to tear up because I just, I just think it's so beautiful, like, because – you know, we've known each other a long time. You know, I identify as a lesbian and, and love is love and it wouldn't matter if who I fell in love with. You can't foresee things and I just think it's so beautiful that the journey of you and Denise has, you know, continued despite you finding yourself and, you know, and her readjusting and realising that truth on her own that love is love and you fall in love with a person and not the gender. Mm-hmm. And, and as for what is life like for Stephanie, um, I've had some real serious battles. Uh, mm. Surgery didn't go, didn't heal right, so I went back to Philadelphia in November 2017, um, and and then I had some problems again, and um, and it, it it isn't a hundred percent how I'd like it to be, as you'll read in the book, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter doesn't matter because I am I feel I am now the person I should always have been and Mm. um, writing my book has been at times very cathartic at times it's been very painful Um, Mm. the biggest issue I have is is with my parents Um, Mm. actually they're both deceased before I discovered the the truth but I, I, I don't understand how you could sit back and and watch me go through, watch your child go through what I went through when you know the reason for it. And mm-hmm. and what was a teacher? She could have she could have taken me out of school and saved all that hurt and homeschooled me. But but she didn't. And an interesting point is um I went when I went back to to, to see the guy in Perth. Um, and and he said something about, you know, have you never been to a specialist before um, about the breasts? And I said, yeah, I went to two when I was 13. And he said, tell me about them. So I explained how it happened. And he said, mm-hmm. do you want me to tell you what that specialist said to your father that day? And I said, how, how could you possibly know that? He would have said to your father, why have you brought this child to me? when you know the reason why he, she is how he, she is. You mm. need to tell him. Mm. But they never did. Wow. Yeah. So I, have, I can't tell you how much I've spent on, on um, psychologists, counsellors, um, where I have got absolutely the best success and, and the biggest move forward both with physical pain and and a long way towards the mental pain is is meditation and self-care meditation yeah. i was recommended to meditation nearly two years ago 
and it has absolutely changed my life. Absolutely changed mm. my life. Am I right in saying that when you first got recommended to do meditation, you were almost going to tell the person to piss off? <laughs> you were. You, 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 you told me that story. <laughs> I could never do that because my is the most beautiful person both inside and out. Um, and we were going through the issues and, and the problems and, and nothing seemed to be working for sorting this pain out and I was on opiate painkillers every day. She leant across the desk, she took my hand and she said, Stephanie, I'd like you to try meditation. And she looks at you with these piercing blue eyes and like, there was no way I was ever going to say no. Yeah, you had to go. And and she recommended me to to a lady in Dunsborough who who has a who does uh, meditation classes. I go every Tuesday night. It's absolutely a highlight of my my week. Um, it's not just what I learn there; it's the group energy in the ladies that are in the room. Mm, it's, it's pretty special. Soak it up. It's just mm. uh, it's just a beautiful beautiful uh, experience um, and, and then cool. we become very good friends and, and we talk very openly um, but meditation has absolutely changed my life that's amazing I'm so glad you um you found something that works for you in more ways than one but um before we wrap things up you have mentioned your wonderful book which you've recently published half him half her so can you tell everyone a little bit about that and where they can get their copy <laughs> so um, I started writing my book in, in February 17 um, in the, the run-up run to the surgery. I finished it almost three years later. It's then taken us a year to get it to, to into print. Um, and I'm just absolutely overwhelmed by the response. Mm. I've, had, I've had messages of support from people I've never, ever heard of before, never met before, um, just come out of nowhere. Uh, both on the intersex side, on the transgender side, mm-hmm. it's it's been a really really positive experience. Um, so the book's available online. It's on things like Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon, um, and and yeah, it's just it, it's it's been a beautiful response. So yes, I, I will send you a copy. I can't wait to read it, honestly. I mean, I've, I've been with you for a lot of the journey and I feel privileged to have been a small part of that. You just told me before we started recording that I'm actually in the book under my pseudoname, which is a real honour. You'll know a lot of people in the book as well. Um, of course. Which is even better. I know. It's going to be like a, a mental puzzle for me. Like, who is that pseudoname? Oh, yes, I know that. Like, uh, uh, um, what, what's his, let's call him Dino, the guitar player. Oh, well, there you go. Well, there you go. I won't have to decode that one. I asked him if he, if he wanted me to put him in as a different name, but he, he said, no, no, I thought you'd put it in as, as David. Well, I'm quite happy to be Rachel. So, yeah, I'm more than a proof of that name. I know it's already gone to print, but that's exciting. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pleased about that because Rachel's my middle name. 
Oh, fantastic. Very, very cool. Well, Steph, before we let you go, any final advice to anyone who can relate to any of the things that you've spoken about, perhaps feeling as though their physical appearance or their identity doesn't match with what's going on on the inside? Get help and mm-hmm. don't stop trying until you get the right help. Um, I think it's it's something that is becoming easier. It's becoming more accepted. Um, I think Australia is a very inclusive place. I think um, I think we are absolutely in the best place in the world in terms of acceptance and uh, inclusivity. Uh, I just think it's. I don't think my journey would have been as easy had I been in the UK. Um, mm. It's it's just been. It's just been a beautiful journey. Um, I've had mm. the most amazing support, particularly from, from the medical profession. Um, and, and the main thing is, is Denise. She has been my absolute rock soulmate and my hero. Mm. And, and I'm just so blessed. So, mm. so blessed. So And wait. So we, we are so blessed that you've shared that story with us. I mean, honestly, your love story, your transformational journey, um, it's just all so special to hear and to have played a small part in that, um, you know, having our friendship across the years, you know, when you were going through the transition. So um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been really good. Anytime, okay. Steph. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Please make sure you get your own copy of Half Him, Half Her by Stephanie Vaughan. And as always, listen and subscribe to the Me For Her podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.